Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. and What an amazing thing it is that you allow us to touch and handle and experience the depth of your word and that your word is vested in a living God. There's something that goes on in the Bible. But Father, you know us personally, and you know that this week, even today, um, there's individuals here that have challenges, things they're thinking about for tomorrow, things they're worried about from yesterday, concerns for other people, all kinds of things to distract us from focusing on the God who can and the God who will. So we pray, Father, that you would calm hearts for the next hour or so at least, that you would um, remove barriers, that you would soften minds, that you would have us each open to hearing what you, through the Holy Spirit of God, would teach. Father, I pray that you would even quiet my voice and open up the uh, words of the Holy Spirit on these lovely people today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last week uh, Gunnar showed us that the Christian life um, is really not a fairy story and should not be flippantly portrayed as, and they lived happily ever after. You remember his parachute illustration? Um, Who can relate to his parachute? Not me. Okay, two of you. Good. Uh, But still, uh, we can produce fruit to the extent that we tap into the vine, Jesus Christ. And that was from John 15, a lovely passage. So, have you seen any fruit this week as you've tapped into the vine, Jesus Christ? Did, did you apply? Did you have a chance to see what, what, God, what, what God was doing through that? Um, I hope so. Now, this is where the Bible reading plan, I think, is so valuable. Our church, um, some of you are involved in this uh, Bible reading app, trying to read through the Bible in a year, and it's just a great format to share what God is doing in your lives as you've read through the Scriptures. And, and some people comment, you don't have to comment, and they put down, oh, God showed me this today, God showed me that. And many of us are greatly encouraged as we read your observations of what God is doing. So keep it up. And, and it's not too late if you're so inclined to start participating in the Bible reading plan. Uh, see Melanie, and I'm sure she can point you towards the app to get you into that. Um, today, we're going to continue in this section of Scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse. This is the last evening of Jesus' life here on earth, and he, has, uh, he participates in the Lord's Supper or Passover with his with his special group of disciples in John chapter 13 all the way through John um, chapter 17. It's just, the whole thing's just a few hours, and then it's a few hours later that he dies. It's a rich, personal, and densely packed teaching of Jesus uh, given to his apostles before he checks out. It's it's Jesus' last words, if you will, uh, to those closest to him, and, and, and as well as us as well. And while each chapter can be seen as an individual unit, um, it's really important to see them as a whole. And so what I, what I recommend to everybody is that at least weekly, while Gunner's teaching this, at least weekly you sit down and you read John chapter 13 through 17 all in one sitting, weekly, so you can follow through, know where he's going, know where he's been, and you can make sense of it. Uh, but that's for free. That's what I uh, think you should do. You don't have to do that. Okay, so as a unit, John uh, chapter 13 through 17 repeats certain themes. And what Jesus does, master teacher that he is, is he lays out some certain truths, and then he builds on those each chapter and kind of uh, gives us more information. Um, I put an overhead up there. Uh, you know, if you can't read it, I'm sorry. I'll go through a little bit. I'm not going to go through too much of it. But you get the picture is that there's certain themes in the upper room discourse which get revisited again and again, kind of like waves coming in, and each time the wave gets a little bit bigger. Uh, there's Christian duty. He talks about washing each other's feet. Um, a new commandment I give unto you. 
Um, you love one another. Uh, you produce fruit. Uh, you bear witness. There's Christian hazards. He talks about betrayal. Uh, he talks about denial, separation from Christ, and being hated by the world. And then the Christian supply, uh, union with God, uh, the Holy Spirit, Christ's peace, Christ's joy, prayer. Uh, he even talks about you're going to face persecution. And he builds on those themes as he goes. So it keeps going. John 16, he continues to build on these themes. So, if you have a, uh, to leave early, I want to give you one takeaway. Don't leave after this, but if you have to, here's what John 16 tells us. In John 16, we learn that in Christ, in Christ, we can persevere, persevere with peace in the midst of tribulation. In Christ, we can persevere in peace in the midst of tribulation. This isn't some begrudging, whip yourself, oh, look at me, I'm persevering, I'm making it. In Christ, he offers us the ability to actually have joy or peace in the process of persevering through whatever life dishes out. And it's been said that as a man thinks, so he is. You are what you think. And if our religious paradigms are incorrect, and make no mistake, each of us hold to certain ideas uh, that are of our, our own making, certain ideas about God that are not really true, the actions driven by those incorrect thoughts will, in fact, produce incorrect actions. That's just the way life is in any field. And while incorrect actions may not yield uh, the full extent of possible consequences to those actions in a dramatic or even immediate way, the, the longer one travels down the wrong road, the more one will become lost. So it's true for the world, so it's true for the Christian as well. So Jesus wants to correct some of our wrong thinking. Now that said, Jesus came into the world that we might have light, truth, and encouragement to not stumble, to not fall away, to not think wrongly about our purpose here in the world. And he came that we might have life and actions consistent with genuine life. Well, today Jesus continues on this personal journey with those who love him, those who believe to a level that he called abiding, these 12 guys. And he wants us to know that the going will get tough, but we can persevere in the worst circumstances this life can throw at us. And, and not simply persevere, but persevere with peace. That is possible. So you see the overhead there. In Christ, we can persevere with peace in the midst of tribulation. That's our aim. Let me ask you, where are you tempted to quit? to throw in the towel, to say, this is enough. Have relationships failed you? Has the economy hurt you? Or has poor health robbed you? Have you ever been tempted to throw in the towel? Jesus has a message for us today. Now, let's jump into John 16. Uh, Gunnar likes us to use the uh, NASB 95 version. We'll do that mostly today. I'm going to do a gunner thing. I'm going, to, I'm going to drift from my text and just point out something. This is Jesus's, if you will, last words to these guys. The last message. They can't comp possibly understand it. Um, one, of our, uh, one of our families in church, uh, Brett Byler's family, uh, Brett knew he was dying. Uh, he had some, some months to go, and, and he has little girls. And my understanding is he took time to write letters to these girls. And the letters are graded for different times in their life. 
trying to pass on the three decades of wisdom that he had acquired to try to equip them for the future. And if he gave them all to them right now, they, they wouldn't understand all that he's saying, but do you think they would, they're going to cherish those letters every time they open them? Do you think they'll pay attention to those words? A wise man, a very wise man. Well, these are Jesus' last words, if you will, something that we should pay attention to and hold on to. And he says in John 16, 1, These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. That you may be kept from, from stumbling. And NIV says it this way, uh, kept from going astray. Good words. So what are the these things? We go back to chapter 15. Uh, these things, abide in the vine, 15.1. Uh, you are clean, 15.3. God is pruning you to bear much fruit, 15.2. Uh, let his word abide in you. Love one another. Uh, you are my friends. Jesus chose you. They will persecute you, 1518, and the Holy Spirit will come, 1526. These things are given to you so that you can persevere. Now, why are the disciples, these great guys, in danger of stumbling? Well, because based on the passage, they were in danger of stumbling because of the world's persecution in the wake of Jesus' imminent absence. He was going to be taken away. Just a few hours from now, after he speaks to them, he is going to be crucified, and he knows this. Suffering can make us vulnerable to going astray. We should understand that. We should be uh, prepared for that. And while suffering or hardship are, are some of God's chief tools in God's curriculum towards growing you towards Christ-likeness, the fact is that suffering can both draw some close to God and push others away from God. And that depends largely on one's God paradigm. What one believes God is like. And hence we need an accurate view of God ahead of the troubles to come if we are, be, if we are to be kept from stumbling. Because troubles are going to come. Now, what does it mean to stumble? Well, th this does not so much refer here to committing a personal sin or to failing to speak up for Christ when the opportunity presents itself, but rather it speaks of an aspect of abandoning the true faith. Abandoning the true faith. And hence the translation, so that you will not go astray, NIV, is pretty accurate. Now, clearly Jesus believes that to be forewarned is to be forearmed, and that's what he's doing here. True information can diminish the risk of us stumbling, and Jesus is going to give these guys true information so they can hold on to it. As we have said, as a man thinks, so he is. So, so what's in your mind really does matter. You know one of my favorite verses, Romans 12, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Changing your mind, retraining your mind. So, okay, here is more true information imparted ahead of time to keep them and us from stumbling. And make no mistake, this discourse is for us as well. John put it in there after so that we would have it now. Now, Jesus has already told them that they would suffer persecution. John 15, uh, verses 18 through 25 is all about that. But new information about this persecution is about to be revealed. In verse 2, he says, here's part of the persecution. They will make you outcast from the synagogue. 
But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think he is offering service to God. The persecution would come from religious people, from the church as it were, and in the form of ostracism, but also death, yes, even murder. Unless we think this is far-fetched, or just for those days, be advised, folks, be advised. Those of you who have had but just a few decades of Christian experience, you can think back to not very long ago, have experienced, uh, have, have realized that in many of our churches there has been a cultural shift already. Things are different than when you were a kid. I mean, I could tell when they're singing, oh, oh victory in Jesus, that I could, I could see the five or six Baptists that are there, okay? You identify yourself, yes. <laughs> Certain ideas in Christianity have fallen out of vogue. If we want to attract the world to the church, we've got to soften up a little bit. To speak of the sanctity of marriage, or even the sanctity of human life, the reality of eternal judgment for those who reject Jesus the truth and authority of the Bible as you hold it in your hands today, and that male or female is not a multiple-choice question, can make you very unpopular even in the churches today. Be advised. But why will people, the, the church even, despise you for holding to plain truths like Jesus is the only way to access God? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 3, these things... They will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. They hate you because they do not know the Jesus that you know. They worship a God of their own making. And as it was then, so it is becoming now. And so Jesus forewarns us, verse 4, he says, But these things I have spoken to you so that when this hour comes, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about it. You've been forewarned. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. I didn't need to. Why did Jesus' physical presence make these warnings inconsequential? Well, they, they could actually ask Jesus for instruction as they walked on their way. They could talk to him. They could ask for explanation, which he readily gave. They had the tangible Jesus. They could touch him. John puts it this way in 1 John 1. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of God. They hugged Jesus. What an amazing thing. Did you ever think, well, if Jesus was with me right now, I would... Yeah. They had the physical presence of God. So, so what's about to change? Well, verse 5 through 7 tells us, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, you, uh, things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send to you. I can hear them saying right now, we don't want a helper, whatever that is. We, we want you. You know, it's like Peter, wash my whole body. I mean, we have a plan here, Lord. Don't mess it up. See, Jesus promises them and us that in his physical absence, we have the Holy Spirit of God as our helper. And God, by way of the Holy Spirit, lives in everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. This is a big deal. We don't tap into it as readily as we probably should, but it's a big deal. 
It's what separates Christians from unbelievers. In fact, Romans 8 says it this way, starting in verse 8, he says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That's what makes a Christian, the Spirit in you. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. Romans 8, take it home and read it. Okay, if you don't have the spirit, you are not a Christian. That's not a two-class system, it's just a fact. But how can I know I have the spirit? I get this question a lot. How do I know? Well, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says it this way. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? You know the Spirit's in you because the Bible tells me so. Because the Bible says so. John 14.17, the Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you, and will be in you is later for them, but it's already passed for us. We know we have the Spirit because the Bible tells us so, but I don't always feel like I have the Spirit inside of me. It doesn't matter because the Bible tells me so. We stand on the solid rock of the Bible. Now, when was the Spirit to begin living inside of them? Well, for them, after Jesus left. For you, the Spirit comes into you at the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, that you trust Jesus, that you believe in Jesus. The Spirit of God fills you. It's an amazing thing. Now this today is not an exhaustive teaching on the person and work of the Holy Spirit and His relationship to you, but suffice to say that it is biblical that Christians have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And if you'd like to study more on the Holy Spirit and his connection with you, bring it to our attention. We can have some one-on-one time over coffee, and I think you'll be greatly uh, blessed as your knowledge of him who dwells within increases. It's a lovely journey. You see, because of the Holy Spirit in Christ, we can persevere with peace in the midst of tribulation. Now, I'm looking at time. I'm going to do it. There's another truth evident here, a truth which must be mentioned. And it seems like um, I've brought this up before, but it's here, so I'm going to bring it out. Uh, this chapter clearly illustrates that the Father, God, is deity, God. And that the Holy Spirit is deity, God. And that Jesus is deity, or God. It, it's right here in this chapter, the whole thing. They are God, all at the same time, all fully God, and yet there's only one God. Whoa. The biblical teaching, which is far above your and my pay grade, is one of those incomprehensible realities which defies explanation, though many try to explain it. The classical concept is expressed as the trinity, or the triunity of God. But, but don't fall on that sword. Because it's a truth that's far above the ability of a human pea brain to comprehend, and that's okay. Don't you want a God that's bigger than you? Good. Now, back to earth. Come back to the text here. How can the truth that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you help 
keep you from stumbling. What's this do for me? Well, here Jesus, here's Jesus' short course on the Holy Spirit, the Helper, and what he'll do when he comes inside of you. Verse 8, chapter 16, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, or the world's sin is unbelief in Jesus, however you want to slice that. When you share with someone about their need for Jesus, it is still acceptable to use the word sin. It's okay. It's a real word. It's a good word. It is not your job to convict people of sin, but it's amazing how the Holy Spirit does that when you begin to talk about sin. Yeah, I used to do that, and then I realized it was sin. Yeah, that was my life, and then I realized for me that was sin. Let the Holy Spirit run with that. Verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Jesus was the standard, the gold standard of righteousness. I mean, you had God walking around earth. He he couldn't do anything wrong. Well, maybe, no, nothing, mom, nothing. But when he was a little baby, didn't no, he didn't do anything wrong. The Gospels are filled with examples of how Jesus' simple view of righteousness absolutely confounded the Pharisees of his day. And we sometimes feel compelled to do the same, to demonstrate righteousness. But even at our best, our displays of righteousness fall short and are short-lived. Absent Jesus' presence, the Holy Spirit is necessary to let people know about true righteousness and what it looks like, and that they fall short of it. That should take a lot of pressure off of you at your next family gathering. Let him do his thing. Because of the Holy Spirit, in Christ we can persevere with peace in the midst of tribulation, even at family gatherings. So rely on the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Okay, what's that about? Revelation 20 tells us in verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. How long will Satan be tormented? Forever and ever. Now what that means in the Greek is forever and ever. But why is the Holy Spirit convicting the world about Satan's judgment? What difference could that possibly make? Because as your leader goes, so goes the follower. They need to know the end. Revelation 20.15 says it this way, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire, I put, as well. Uh, Revelation 21.8, he says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, their place will be in the lake of in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And by implication, that means forever and ever and ever and ever. You can't get trendy and water that down. If a person is to be rescued out of their life of sin, it is absolutely essential that the Holy Spirit convicts them of future judgment. But that's his job, not yours. Take the pressure off yourself. You can preach to someone until you are blue in the face, but unless the Holy Spirit convicts them from within, they won't get saved. 
Many of you have experienced that, both on the receiving end and on the giving end. And hence, God takes the burden off of you and takes it on himself so that, so that they will not have to be tormented with the devil forever and ever and ever. This is the love of God. This is the love of God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in order to bring us out of the promise of eternal torment and into the promise of eternal life. What about you? Have you chosen to believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin so that you don't have to suffer eternal judgment alongside the devil? The book of John is an amazing book. It's full of what-about-you moments, in-your-face moments, and this is one of them. Okay, that is the Spirit's work in the world. But what about his work inside the believer? There is much about your future that you cannot, that cannot be shared until they and we are ready to hear it. That's just the way life is. Verse 12, he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You're not ready for them. You're not there yet. Can't give the letters to the little girls now. That's for the wedding day. And I love this. Jesus has so much more to share. But at this point, it's TMI. The men were in no condition to receive the information. He's not putting them down for that. That's just the reality. And so many times I hear people voice their regrets that in a certain circumstance, they they didn't say the right thing. They had this opportunity to speak for Jesus, and and they didn't do it. And uh, That does not worry Jesus a bit. It's not as if his mission will fail if his people are not completely trained. Rather, after he leaves, and we're talking hours at this point, their training would continue. Verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now, this should be a great comfort to those of you who have, who have discipled uh, men and women, pastored a flock, or even raised children. When you are out of their life, the lessons will continue. God says so. It's God's AO, his area operation, to raise up his people toward Christ-likeness. He may use you to help along the journey, but it's his mission, and it will be accomplished. Each of us are but a tool in his tool bag, so don't be frustrated. When you try and help someone mature, and they just they refuse to eat every little morsel you're trying to feed them. God has a plan for that person far beyond your encounter with them. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad for that? But don't miss the rest of the verse. The truths passed on to you through the Holy Spirit are not from himself, but what he hears from God. The Holy Spirit is saturated in the word coming from the Father. He is saturated in God's truth. To be kept from stumbling, to not be led astray, we too should be saturated in God's truth. Information from the mouth of God. I mean, think about this. Be honest. What's your favorite source of information in your quest to make sense of this world? 
CNN, Fox, Facebook newsfeed? Do those sources bring you peace or do they stir you up? You see, the information available to you by the Holy Spirit not only equips you to persevere with peace in the midst of tribulation, but it also brings glory to God. CNN doesn't do that. Look at verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he will take of mine and disclose it to you. Just to be clear here, the taking of mine is referring to information, truth, Jesus' message to his people. The Holy Spirit, in Jesus' physical absence, will take Jesus' message to Jesus' people. That's what he does. And still, before all this happens, the disciples have to suffer the loss of Jesus. If only for a moment. Verse 16, uh, a little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Now, Jesus wants them to know before it happens that he will be killed and rise again. But this is perplexing. In verse 17, they start babbling. Well, what does this mean? I mean, he's telling us in a little while, and then no, and a little while to see me, and I go to the Father, and what is this talking about? So they were saying, verse 18, what is he talking about a little while? Now, have you ever, or excuse me, have, have you never been perplexed by the workings of God? Have you never been a little bit confused by why is God doing this? Now get this. Jesus does not have for us to live in confusion. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33 says it very well. For God is not the author of confusion, but peace. So what do we do when we're confused and we just don't get it? Well, James says it this way. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. God won't say, you don't know that. He doesn't reproach you for asking. And it will be given to him. Now, Jesus knows that there is no joy in perplexity. Sometimes people stumble away from God because they're trying to make sense out of difficulties of life. And they, they said, well, let me try the horoscope, or well, let me try this guru, or let me try listening to this uh, daytime TV group of women talking about nonsense. Are you wrestling with difficulties? Yeah, don't watch that stuff. I see your looks. Don't worry, I'm not a pastor, I'm a cop, okay? Just <laughs> is there something too big for you to comprehend? Then this is something to take to Jesus. That's his point. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this? Huh? Us? <laughs> yeah. That I said in a little while, I will not see me, and then you'll see me again. Listen. Verse 20, truly, truly means listen. I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but the, your grief will be turned to joy. Now he confused us that much more. What are you talking about, Lord? Okay, that's a big statement. How does it work? Well, Jesus, like so many other good teachers, uses an illustration from life. Verse 21, he talks about having a baby. You know about this. I mean, there's this pregnancy, there's this pain, then there's this joy. And you don't think about the pain because you have the joy. I guess that's true. I, I wouldn't know. But verse 22, if you remember, you wouldn't have the second one, right? Yeah. 
Verse 22, therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. That's a big promise. Everyone here knows the pain of having someone rob you of your joy. Jesus offers us a tangible solution to the joy stealers of life. The answer is found in himself. Verse 23. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly try to say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you will ask for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Jesus wants you to have joy. Joy supplied from him. It's a wonderful truth of Christianity. The world doesn't, isn't filled with joy. There's some fun stuff and some happy stuff, but de- the depth of joy can only be found in Jesus Christ. I'll do an overhead for me, please. Still, don't think the answer to this issue is, uh, of, of fulfilled joy will be in the form of information. Rather, it is most often found in the form of experience. You see, the fact is there are certain truths in life and theology that can only be understood by experience. You can't just read about it. There are certain truths in life and theology that one will only understand as they walk through those truths with God. There's just certain truths in the Bible that will make no sense until you actually experience what you have first read about. And that experience may be years in the coming. It's a long journey, and that's okay. I mean, you know this from life. You, you, you've taught someone a life skill, perhaps. At some point, you've got to let the kid feel the nibble of that fish on that fishing line. Oh, that's what it feels like. Or you have to let them swim finally across the pool. Kick, gulp, stroke, choke, right? Or you have to let them actually pull the trigger and feel the recoil. Oh, complete learning requires both classroom knowledge and real-world experience. And that's what God gives you. Now, let me just soapbox for a bit. This is Gunner's chance to say I'm not coming back. This is exactly the problem in our pews today. And for those new, when I say pews, I mean our church audience. By and large, we do not wrestle with the Bible. And we do not teach others to wrestle with the Bible, to chew on it. We look for quick fixes. We try to offer the guy next to us an easy answer. Oh, here's probably why that happened. Move on. No, let them wrestle. We we want to soften the blow. And hence, we produce a bunch of people who either don't understand these truths because they don't work through them, or they start to deny the teachings of the Bible. And if we deny biblical truth, we are following some untruth. And that can only result in a church collectively going astray. So let me ask you, will you be one who wrestles with the Bible until you have a plain, true understanding from God about the truths contained therein? I mean, if you don't understand something, take some time to think through it. Don't run to a commentary right away. Chew on it. Think about it. Let them tell you in 10 or 20 years what it means. Enjoy the journey. The love of God dictates that he desires that you understand his word. He wants you to understand his word. And that's what our passage actually teaches. Look at verse 25. 
These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask me, in that day you will ask me in my name, and I do not say that you will uh, make your request to the Father on your behalf, for verse 27, for the Father himself loves you. That means he wants to tell you himself. Because you have loved me and believed that I came from the Father. Okay. Now that we understand God's loving commitment that we understand, he is committed to you understanding the Scriptures. I mean, some of us have had to repeat patterns in life because we haven't taken advantage of God teaching us. Now that we understand this, Jesus now gets plain. Verse 28. Now he gets plain. Here it is. Okay, here it is, guys. I came forth from the Father, and I've come into the world. I am leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. Oh, that's what he's talking about. Now we understand. Verse 29, his disciples said, Lo, that means, oh, now you're speaking plainly instead of using figurative language. We've got it. Thank you. Okay, let's move on. And don't miss this strange response. Verse 30, now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you, I add, anymore. By this we believe that you've come from God. Okay. We've got the answer we're looking for. We don't need more. Just, okay, we got it. Thank you. And this is the problem with plain speak. One reason why Jesus did so much illustrations and used so many illustrations. You see, many times, once a student comprehends a piece of information, They mistakenly think they understand all of the information. They cease to learn. I've got it. Thank you. Okay, I've got. So I want to know where's the peanut butter. Okay, don't tell me about the lid and don't tell me that the hair in it and don't put my jelly in it with the. No, I I got what I want. Thank you. And there's a bigger picture, son. Good teachers should always leave students in a place where they want a little more, wanting a little more. The disciples think, now we've got it. We don't need to trouble you anymore. Well, not so. Verse 31. Jesus answered them, Oh? I added that. Oh? Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Jesus wants us to know that we are not as strong as we think we are. We are not as spiritual as we think we are. We always need Jesus. There's no area of life where we are independent of Jesus. And that said, we can also never disappoint Jesus in our weakness. He already knows about it. He's well aware of your weakness. He's not caught by surprise when we blow it. But why does he want us to know this? So that we will not stumble. So that we will not lose our joy. Have you ever stumbled and lost your joy? Sure, he doesn't want you to lose your joy. So that we may have peace during times of success and during times of failure peace during failure? Surely God wants us to whip ourselves a little bit and feel really bad, doesn't he? He already knows about it, folks. Verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble, but take courage. 
I have overcome the world. (laughs) Courage, yes, take courage. Jesus has overcome the world. Whatever your problem or challenge is, A, he has you there. He puts you there. Really? Yes. And B, he's overcome that challenge. You need to latch on to him. Because of the Holy Spirit in Christ, we can persevere with peace in the midst of tribulation. You know, this is rabbit trail. This is why this teaching of health, wealth, prosperity is is so heinous. God doesn't mean for you to be sick. Nonsense. God doesn't mean for you to struggle financially. Nonsense. God doesn't mean for you to wade through relationships with people. Nonsense. But he's on the journey with you. It grows you towards Christ's likeness. Because of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome the world as well. You can overcome these challenges as well. But don't miss this. Overhead for me. Don't miss this. That which keeps us from stumbling is not information. It's a person. Jesus Christ. That which keeps us from stumbling is not just true information. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the fear of stumbling drives many of us to avoid taking risks. I don't want to fail. Unfortunately, those fears prevent many of us from encountering encountering experiences which are necessary for our growth. For instance, people avoid marriage out of the fear of choosing the wrong person. Kind of sounds wise, doesn't it? Well, people avoid having children out of fear of children causing pain. Children are going to cause you pain. (laughs) But not grandchildren. (laughs) Grandchildren cover a multitude of sin, right? Yes. Jesus tells us, take courage. He has already won. Take courage. You just need, sometimes in the field, you just need the gunny sergeant to walk up and say, courage, men, courage. Worst situation around. Courage. You just need to hear those words. Is there some area where you're too afraid to do what you think God is actually calling you to do? Have you been avoiding certain challenges? I keep hearing a call for nursery workers and Sunday school teachers. Will you take these things to the Lord, not only for clarity but also to commit to doing whatever he tells you to do? You have the Holy Spirit. You can persevere with peace in the midst of any difficulty that may come your way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't abandon us and leave us alone. That everything that we encounter, your sin, my sin, nobody's sin, is orchestrated and handled and covered by you. There's nothing that catches you off guard. But we acknowledge, Father, that not only do you give us principles and teachings, but you give us yourself. And we need to tap into you more and more. Guilty as charged. In fact, uh, Lord, we know there's, there's prayer warriors right up here in front at the end of the service. If anybody wants something to talk to, somebody about prayer, uh, come on up front and get prayed for. And we offer this uh, section to God as an act of worship. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.